go away for a couple weeks, you get a new guitar player. Jeez, I'm just kidding. That's great. No, that's awesome. Well, hey, good morning. And um, I want to welcome you guys. And I also want to add another welcome for those who are watching online. Um, I already welcomed them by standing directly in front of the camera for a little while during the live feed, which is my fault. So sorry. Uh, but uh, anyway, we're glad to have you with us uh, online as well as in person. Uh, if you are online, go ahead and, and drop us a comment. If there's any way we can serve you or pray for you in any way, we would love, love to do that. I want to thank Ken for that fantastic joke uh, and giving my wife a heart attack. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty great. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I guess we could all stack on top of each other if we're, you know, if we're at my house, but we have to like on shoulders or something. But anyway, no, uh, I'm excited. I told, I, I, was, I was thinking, well, I could just do the announcements. And I was like, no, I don't want to announce that because it sounds like I'm ready to celebrate myself and that's just terrible. So uh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so anyway, but I, I can't believe Dana, you know, said it in her prayer, but I can't believe it's been almost a year either. Uh, seems like just yesterday. So um, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be back on, uh, from vacation. We, were, we had a great time. Uh, we're gone for, as you know, for a couple of weeks. I've never done that before, uh, but we had a great and relaxing time, even though we did drive quite a bit and we made some fantastic family memories. I, I learned that um, hiking is hard uh, <laughs> in, in, in the hills in southern Illinois. And uh, anyway, it, it, it was fun. Um, went all the way down to the Gulf and back. Uh, and in that two-week time and various stops along the way, I got the opportunity to share with my friend Dustin's Church, Gateway Church. I bring you greetings from them. They are in Mount Vernon, Illinois, uh, just a, a church plant that's just a year or two old. And um, their pastor, Dustin, will be here. I'm going to try to get him up here in the fall to share during a Sunday morning as well. Uh, since they got me, you get him. And, uh, and we'll, uh, we're going to do some special things, I think, while they're, he, he and Sarah, are, his wife and their girls are in town. Uh, that'll be later this fall. You can just kind of look forward, uh, just kind of look forward to that. But anyway, that's enough about uh, my great two weeks, but because I'm back and I'm ready to hit the ground running in ministry. And uh, today is going to be our final week in the Psalms. We decided that what, what we we're going to do was do a short four-week uh, section of the Psalms um, to kind of bridge the gap between the, uh, the end of Best Sermon Ever, the uh, Sermon on the Mount series, and before we move into our next series. But next week, uh, we're going to start through a series called Replant. And in this series, we're going to look for what it means to be a healthy church on mission with God, what our core values of a church are and are going to be moving forward, and how we're going to be focused on them, how we're going to live out uh, the vision behind who hope is going to be now. Um, you know, just in talking with the deacons and different people, it, it's apparent that what we really need, and a lot of churches are probably in this spot after COVID and, and all that stuff has gone on, um, but, but just over the course of the last uh, two or three years in the life of this church and some of the things that we've, we've had some friction, we've had some great things, we've had some hard things, and so what we need as a church is really really almost to just be relaunched out into the world, out into the community. 
We're still Hope Bible Fellowship. Uh, you know, we're still the people of hope. And uh, to, to really focus in around what our core values are going to be and, and to gather together as God's family here in this place to gather together around God's name and, and, and his mission for our church. And we're going to talk about that over the next several weeks during this series, Replant. I'm going to be talking about everything from uh, how we do discipleship all the way down to... Uh, all the way down to um, you know, basic things that we need to look at with our, our constitution, our bylaws, and all that stuff in order to focus us in on the mission for the church. And I hope you'll be a part of that. I hope you'll come and be a part of all of those or as many as you can. Uh, if you know someone, you haven't seen them in a while, I would invite them to, hey, come on back. This is going to be an important few weeks in the life of our church. I'm not actually sure how long it's going to be. I, originally, I thought it'd be four or five weeks, but the Lord may extend it a little bit longer because I want to cover some of these core value topics and things like that. And so I just want to invite you, this just from my heart, um, I, I've really been thinking about this. I'm praying about it and, and, and really asking God for wisdom for what we need to do as a church and how we need to move forward. How, how can we best minister in the community and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples? And, and how can we best do that? How can we best help fulfill the Great Commission? Anyway, I'm, I got to stop or I'll start preaching my sermon for next week. So um, today, though, we're going to stop off in Psalm 51. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51 or thumb over in your device or however it is you get to the Scripture. And we're going to be camped out there today. We're going to be camped out in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a, is a, a psalm of repentance, uh, of David repenting of his sin with Bathsheba. And we'll get to that in a minute. But why, do, why, why this? Why now? Um, well, a couple of different reasons. But the one I want to kind of focus in on is this. Um, as, a, as a church getting ready to step into really a new era, right? A new, a, a new time. Um, in many ways, our whole culture is in a new time and a new era post-COVID, right? Things are just different, you know? And um, it would be really easy as us for a church to want things to go back the way they were or to be like it was, but we're actually in kind of a new, a, a, a new place. We're in a new place. We had different people. We got new people. We've got, you know, we got a new pastor, right? We, uh, I'm, think I've only been here a year. I think I can still be new, right? I don't think the, the new car smell is more off, but uh, I don't know about the, I don't know about the shine. But anyway, um, and and so as we move forward, what we need to look at first, I believe, is are we harboring any sin in our hearts, individually or corporately? Um, you know, anything like that? Is there any bitterness? Is there any anger? Is there any uh, inappropriate motives? Is there anything in our hearts that we are holding on to? Because what we want to be is a people of repentance. And if there is sin in our hearts, we want to quickly, we want the Lord to convict us quickly of that so we can confess it and turn away from it, right? And, and the life of a Christian, I don't want to kind of spoil the end of it today, but the life of a Christian is a life of continual repentance. We're, we're repenters, Okay. It's not that we're perfect, because that ain't going to happen. If you're looking for perfection, you should go somewhere else, because you're not going to find it here. But we're to be people who live a life of repentance, and that's part of what we, uh, our message to the world is that, no, we, we don't have it all together. No, we're not good little church people. That's why we need a Savior, and we must continually be turning to Him. So uh, anyway, growing up, 
I told this story a few weeks ago, but I'm going to tell it again because I think you guys can handle it, okay? But my youth pastor growing up was a guy named Kurt Anderson, and I hope you'll get to meet him one day uh, because he is one of the most influential men in my life. And when I came to, uh, when, I, when he came, excuse me, when he and his family came to Winterset to serve as, as our youth pastor, uh, he and his wife, Cindy, had two young sons, Nick, who was their oldest, and John, who was their youngest. He goes by John now, but back then he was John Jeffrey, cute little stinker. Now he's, now he's got kids of his own. He's grown and married. And anyway, but um, they had a babysitter named Nikki, and one day Cindy recalls a story about calling home, or, or excuse me, about getting a call from home, and she, Nikki's calling to tell her that John Jeffrey was misbehaving. He'd done something bad. But all Cindy could hear in the background is John Jeffrey, Jeffrey sobbing loudly. I'm sorry, Mom. I didn't do it. Now, it's funny to us because we see the obvious. We see that he did do it, but he doesn't want to get in trouble. So to cover all his bases, he's going ahead and apologizing and denying his guilt. He's apologizing for it and denying his guilt. And we laugh because it's funny, but what is so dangerous is that sometimes you and I do the same thing to God. We say we're sorry, but we try to weasel out of the consequences or having to own up to the depth of our sin that we're guilty of. And we don't want to just say we were wrong and we sinned and not come up with some sort of excuse or throw blame around somewhere else. This morning, we're going to look at some characteristics of repentance inside Psalm 51 as David is crying out to God in brokenness over his sin. So if you'll follow along with me as we read from Psalm 51. Now, at the beginning, you'll see a notation there. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. We're going we're to go over that. We're going to kind of recount that here in a minute. But I just want you to know uh, that that's kind of, uh, the psalms do this. They give us a little notation a lot of times about what this was written in regard to what or in response to what or if it's a psalm of ascent or those kinds of things, okay? So just, they're there. They're important to know. It helps us to be able to understand what the word is saying a little, a little bit better. So anyway, let's begin in verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. 
O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good in Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand. Father God, as we come to you, as we come to this time of, of breaking open your word, of, of looking at what it means and how it applies to our lives, God, we pray you would use it to break open our hearts, to speak directly to us, that you would help us to understand, that you would help us to see where we need to repent. Make us a people of repentance. And Jesus, I, I want to point to you this morning. I don't want to point to me. And so if there's anything, it's just a me or my boastfulness and myself or my pride. I just pray you would just tear it down. That you would increase and I would decrease, Jesus. I just pray you'd be big here. For your glory. This is about you and for you, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. It's point number one. As we look at Psalm 51, we have David's confession of sin. This is the confession of sin. This is David saying, yes, God, I agree with you. I sinned. And we need to come to that point as well. We need to agree and, and come to God and say, yes, I have sinned. Okay? Remember, sin is not just something we do. It is a very nature that is on us from birth. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But let's recap David's sins for those of you who are familiar with this, maybe some of you, this is the first time you're hearing this story, and it may blow you away a little bit, but this wasn't some light stuff as we might think of it. This wasn't like David cheated on his math test, okay? This was some serious, serious stuff. It's sin, and that's enough to need forgiveness, but let's take a look back. Now, the whole story is found in 2 Samuel 11 and, and 12. And I would encourage you to, again, when you get home, read over the whole story, double-check my facts. But I'm going to kind of summarize for you a little bit. If you'll remember, it was the spring. And in the spring, it says it was the time when kings would go out to battle. But David sent his men out to battle, and he stayed behind. So the first thing is we've got David not being where he should be as the king, Okay. So David stays behind, and he's out walking, and he sees this gal, Bathsheba, bathing on the roof of her house. Now, uh, some would question why the roof of her house, culturally, okay? Um, if you want to bathe, you want to be where the sun is shining on the water, because they don't, they don't have hot water heaters, okay? Uh, there's none of that, okay? And so you want to be up there. So she was up there. She was bathing. It wasn't like she was trying to attract somebody, okay? She was just bathing, right? And so David sees her, and he likes her. He likes what he sees, so he has her brought to him, and he's intimate with her. And unbeknownst to them, they conceive a child. Now, they don't realize this at that point. All right? So he commits adultery with her. Now, this is a bad deal because they're not married to each other, right? That's the term adultery. And in fact, she was married to a guy named Uriah who happened to be one of David's soldiers who was out fighting. In fact, one of his 
mighty dudes. So it gets deeper, though, right? He doesn't just commit adultery because Bathsheba sends word and lets King David know, hey, I'm pregnant. So David devises this plan to hide his sin so that nobody finds out because Honestly, number one, he was the king, but number two, uh, and, and he was known as a man of God. He knew, obviously, that this wasn't right. But does anybody happen to know, and you don't have to answer, I'm just kind of, but, but in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic Law, the penalty for adultery is death. Like he could have been, they could have been stoned, Right? So here you've got David, and he's trying to hide this. So he devises a plan to have her hubby come home, and boom, make it look like the baby is his, because he's been out in the field, he's been away, come home, sleep with his wife, and boom, she gets pregnant, and they can say that the baby was his and not David's, and no one would be any wiser. Well, there's more to it, though, because this plan doesn't work. In fact, he tries it more than once, but Uriah is a good guy. Uriah is a faithful guy, and he won't enjoy the comforts of home and hearth and while, while his brothers in arms are out fighting the war. So finally, David sends Uriah back out to battle with a note telling the commander to put him at the place where the fighting is the fiercest and then pull back so that Uriah will be killed. This happens just like David planned. Uriah is killed and he marries Bathsheba. Whoa, <laughs> that's, that's a lot, right? I mean, when we think of this, we think, oh, well, David committed, Bathsheba, committed, committed adultery with Bathsheba. That's his sin, but there's a lot, right? That's a whole other sermon on the links people go to to cover up their sin. It's intense. This is David. This is King David. This is the anointed man, the man who is called a man after God's own heart. And here he's guilty of being an adulterer and a murderer, not to mention a liar and all that. Oh, but it gets bigger. The prophet Nathan comes to David and tells him a story. So when the prophet comes, it's either good or bad, right? He's delivered a message from God. It's either good or bad, right? Let's see what this says. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and, grew, he brought it, up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Pause right there. This is how some of you people treat your, your dogs, right? All right? They're like, they're like in the chair with you. They're in bed with you. They've got a little sweater. Uh, okay? They've got their own door in the house. All right? Um, anyway, unpause. <laughs> now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. 
Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites." You are the man. That's not like, you're the man, right? That's like, you are the man. That's the one you say should die because of this. You're him. You just pronounce judgment upon yourself. I encourage you to go back and look through this whole thing because it's, it's, it's commonly known to some in the church, but some of the details are just astounding. So you get Nathan, he comes in and... David gets called out on his sin. Oh, he's all upset about the injustice that's done in this story. And then he gets exposed as the one who's committed the hideous sin. So now, knowing that, fast forward to Psalm 51. David's broken over his sin. And we have this beautiful and and gut-wrenching in some ways capture of, of, of what his repentance and his heart change looked like from one moment to this next. But let's look at the first section where we see David's confession of sin. It's it's in verses 1 through 7. David does something here. He calls out his sin as sin. He doesn't say, oh, I messed up. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I backslid. He doesn't say any of those cuter words that we use for our sin. He says, it's sin. He calls sin, sin. I don't, have, I don't have a lot of patience, and maybe the Lord needs to work with me on that. I don't have a lot of patience for pastors who won't talk about sin. Now, we got to talk about grace and forgiveness. That's the gospel, right? But there's some guys I've heard who don't, don't want to say anything that might make you think anything badly about yourself. Except the Bible says we're all sinners, and all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death, and that's why we need a Savior. We need somebody to step in, take that wrath of God in our place. And that's Jesus. So David accepts the blame on himself. He doesn't try to throw it around and say, well, but she was on the roof, and she was looking really good to me. No. He says he sinned. And he recognizes something. He recognizes something that I think is important to look at. He recognizes that his sin was against God and God alone. Against you and you alone have I sinned. When we sin, we're sinning against God. We're directly offending God. We're making an offense towards God. Now, the last time you had a hateful thought about somebody, you probably didn't think, oh, I'm I'm doing something in offense against God. You were just really mad that that guy cut you off in traffic, right? 
But he calls his sin, sin, and he recognizes that his sin is against God and God alone. Sin comes against God. And my concern is that I think many of us are not as concerned about that as we should be. David calls his actions evil. 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 Right? Evil. How many of us would do the same with our sin? How many of us would, in the depths of our repentance, coming to our confession before God and say, God, I have sinned against you and you alone, and what I have done is evil. The very inclination of my heart is evil. We, pre- we reserve that word a lot of times for really bad stuff, really bad people, right? Other people, right? Other things that happen. But David calls his sin, sin. He says, I've sinned against God. It's against you I've sinned. And he calls his actions evil. How many of us would do the same with our sin? If you look at verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. See, David is showing it. He understands the nature of man, the sinful nature of man, the, the predicament of man, the condition of man from birth. There's this doctrine in the church and in, in, in theology we call total depravity. Okay? Means that from birth we are completely and utterly sinful, and there is no way around that. The only way out is through Jesus. Jesus taking that sin upon himself on the cross, that wrath, uh, literally the Bible says becoming sin, uh, uh, becoming sin on our behalf. And, and stepping in and taking the just wrath of God, because God's wrath on sin is just and right and good. And Jesus taking that upon himself on the cross. And this doctrine of total depravity says that, that we are completely and utterly depraved and hopeless without a Savior. In other words, this, I'm the worst sinner I know. Paul says he's the chief of sinners, right? I think we have to come to a place where we recognize that I'm the worst sinner I know. And I can look at you and I can tell you I'm the worst sinner I know because I know what goes on between these two ears and and in here. And you don't know what goes on between these two ears and there. So I can look at you and I can say, I'm the worst sinner I know. And probably you could look at me and say, you're the worst sinner you know. Because just when we think we've reached the depths of it in our hearts, there's more. That's what it means to be, to be depraved. And we don't like to think that because we've been raised, or at least I was. I'm at the tail end of Generation X. I think I'm called like a zenial or some junk like that where I have characteristics of both generations. But in my generation, we were raised up and in school, all the guidance counselors wanted us to think really highly of ourselves and we had this stuff called self-esteem. Well, I didn't have any of it, but this stuff called self-esteem, right? And so because of that, we don't, we don't, we're not raised to look at ourselves and think bad things about yourself. Except we got to come to the Bible and see that there are some bad things to be said about us, for sure. David says them about himself. 
And none of us are going to look at David after knowing what we know about what David has done. None of us are going, and, and we don't even know the things he was thinking during that time. That'd probably scare us to death. But none of us would look at David and go like, oh, it's not that bad, buddy. None of us are going to look at David and be like, well, but man, you're such a good dude. No. Just when we think we've reached the depths of our sin, just when I think I got a handle on it, just when I think, oh, I find out, oh, how deceptive sin can be. The very beginning of the book, when with Cain and Abel, and God says that sin's crouching at his door, wants to have you. That's the way it works. So what are we looking at here? Well, I think we're looking at the difference between a worldly sorrow over sin and a godly sorrow over sin. And the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow over sin is this. Worldly sorrow is sad you got caught. Worldly sorrow is sad that somebody found out about it. Godly sorrow is sorrow because you've sinned against the holy God. Because what you've done is evil. Which is why it's important that we call it what it is. That's godly sorrow. And godly sorrow leads to something. So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verses 8 through 11, it says this. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter." So Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about him like, I wrote this letter and, and, and grieved you. But he's, he's, he, he's sad to have made them sad, but he's glad to have made them grieve in a godly manner that leads to repentance, that leads to salvation. So worldly grief versus godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow over your sin. Oh, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry people know that I'm a sinner now. As if they didn't know that before. Okay, seriously. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm upset that people know that I did this thing. That's what David was trying to avoid when he was doing all his trickery. Right? But now, he's sorrowful because of who his sin was against God. He doesn't have to worry about being found out. He's been found out by God. And that's who his sin was against. There's a, a, a musician, a Christian musician I used to really enjoy. I think he's walked away from the faith now, so I won't, I'm not going to publicize him. But um, when he, it's just so weird. Um, there's this quote that he had, though. He was doing a, a concert. He has a live album, and he says, The best thing that could happen to you is for your deepest, darkest sin to get found out and broadcast on the 6 o'clock news. I'm like, wait, what? No. I want people to know that. 
Why would he say that? Well, here was his reasoning behind that. It was because if your deepest, darkest sin is found out and is put out on the six o'clock news, you don't have to waste all the energy and exhaust yourself trying to be something you're not and hide it, and you are free to just deal with it with God. Because a lot of times what we do is we try to hide our sin, we try to keep it in, we try to cover it up with good works, like as if that works, right? And, um, and if it's broadcast out there and everybody knows it, I, I don't have to try to hide it, I don't have to pretend, I, don't have to, I can just deal with it with God. I don't have to worry about my reputation, it's gone. That was his point. Because so many times we try to cover up and hide. Anyway, let's move on. So then David, so he confesses his sin. David requests for the cleansing of his sin. Verse 7 there. David knows that there is no possible way that he himself can atone for his sin. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He recognizes that he cannot wash himself. He cannot atone for his sin. He needs God to do it. He needs God to take care of his sin. He can't scrub hard enough to get the sin off of his soul. It can only be done by God. He realized and affirms he's sinful from birth in verse 5. He continually here recognizes and affirms that God is the only one who can bring the cleansing that he so desperately needs and wants. David's at the bottom. He's hit bottom and he's realized, I've done evil against you and you're the only one who can do anything about it. David knows the character of God because God was close to him. So many people run from God in sin and they don't realize the truth of his character because they have not been close to him. Verses 1 and verses 9. Verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. And again, in verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. In the old days, and the bookkeepers, right? They've got the register. and They'd have the debts in the register. They didn't have erasers, right? They're, they're using ink. And so what do they do? When that debt was paid, they would blot it out. Big old blot of it. Like no whiteout, okay? They'd just blot it out. That debt is gone. It's paid. He asked for him to blot out his iniquities. To blot out his transgressions. He asked for cleansing from his sin. And the reason he could do that was because he knew God's character. It's important for us to know God and know God's character so that when we do offend him, when we do sin against him, that we remember that not only is he the one we sin against, but he's the one who can forgive us and cleanse us from that sin and wants to. It's the difference between... um, It's the difference between... I saw saw a meme online, right? It says the difference between... Oh, I messed up. I better hide from dad. It's the difference between that and, oh no, I messed up. I better call dad.
Third, David's desire to be restored. He wanted to be restored, right? He was called the man after God's own heart. He was close to the Lord. He was a servant of the Lord. And he wanted to be restored. In verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. David wants to rejoice even in being broken by God. He knows God can bring joy and healing and forgiveness. He knows God is the only one who can both break him and heal him. In verse 10, David knows sin comes from a sinful heart, and he knows that he needs to be cleansed at the heart level, not a head level only. All right, This is not just a head thing where he just needs to think better about himself or think better about his sin or think his sin was wrong. He needs to be cleansed from his sin at a heart level. In verse 12, he wants God to restore to him the joy of God's salvation and to uphold him with a willing spirit. Only God can restore and only God can bring joy. So that's David's desire. He wants to be restored. But then further, David's uh, talking of his, speaking of his ability to be used by God and for God. So we move from this that, that God, David is confessing his sin. He's asking for God to cleanse him because God's the only one who can cleanse him. He wants to be restored to God, and then he's available to be used by God and for God. Now, God can use anyone he wants, okay? He used Pharaoh in the Old Testament, right? He, he can use anyone he wants at any time he wants. But look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. The forgiven want to be used by God to reach others. Those who recognize what sin does and recognize where the forgiveness and restoration from sin and for sin come from want to tell others about it. They want to teach transgressors God's ways. A forgiven person not serving God. Listen close. A forgiven person not serving God in some way would be a foreign concept to David. He wouldn't, that would not compute with him that you would be forgiven and restored to God and that you would not be in some way serving God. It's a foreign concept to him. What's David's response to being forgiven? Well, look in, in verse 15. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. The response to being forgiven, the response to the truth of the gospel, the life and forgiveness and righteousness that we have in Christ, the response to that is worship. It's worship. Not just singing songs, yes, singing songs, but not just singing songs, but living a life of worship, a life of proclaiming the worth of God. This praise is directed at God, this praise comes from God. In verse 16, it says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. God's not interested in you doing right actions without a right heart. I told someone just this week, 
who is dealing with some life choices and things. God is much more concerned about who you are than he is about what you do. Because a right heart leads to right actions. All right? If the root of the tree is bad, the fruit's going to be bad. If the tree is good, the fruit's going to be good. We are not talking about having good religious rituals. That's not what God is primarily looking for. Francis Chan said this, If God cared only about religious activities, then the Pharisees would have been heroes of the faith. Right? We're not praising the Pharisees for being really good Christians. Because they weren't. If God cared only about religious activities, the Pharisees would have been heroes of the faith. No. God wants a heart that knows its place. And one that is surrendered to his will and his will alone. And the only way this happens is through the gospel. Because what David would want us to know, what God wants us to know, is that we can't get there on our own. We're not going to be able to muster up enough good stuff to get past all of the wicked, sinful things in our heart. The only way this happens is through the gospel. Through Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. And his resurrection he died in our place for our sins. He, he lived a perfect and sinless life. Never sinned and yet died for all the dirty stuff you're thinking about. And me, the stuff I'm thinking about. The sin in my life. And he took that upon himself though he never had those evil thoughts or those desires. Though he never committed those sins. He did not have that sin nature. He was 100% man and 100% God. And he died on the cross in my place, in your place, for your sins taking the wrath of God upon himself, becoming sin for us on the cross. And in exchange for taking our sin, he gives us his righteousness, his right standing before God. I say it all the time because it's amazing. It's so important that we grasp that, that when God looks at us after we've trusted in Christ, that he doesn't see our sin, but he sees Jesus, Jesus' right standing before him. We become the righteousness of Christ. We get the righteousness of Christ put on our account. This is at the very core of the whole, I messed up, I better call dad. That, that's, that quote I said earlier about I messed up, I better, hide from, you know, I better hide from dad, or I messed up, better call dad. It made me think of a story when I was growing up. I was oh, probably 15, and I'd been invited to a New Year's Eve party at the pastor's house. Nothing could go wrong there probably, right? So my parents let me go to the pastor's house for a party with several of my youth group buddies, uh, girls and guys, and uh, we were just having a great old time. And uh, it got to be, you know, know, midnight, and then, you know, the ball dropped, and it's, you know, it's New Year, or not New Year, yeah, it's New Year and everything. But, you know, we're teenagers, so we go ahead and we stay up a little later, and then we decide, well, we're kind of bored hanging at the house, so let's go on a drive, because we, I grew up in Madison County, Iowa, Winterset, Iowa. Um, it's where the bridges of Madison County is, so we have all these covered bridges, and we have all these historical, like, parks and markers, and there's, like, a stone tower and different stuff, suspension bridge, all this cool stuff. And so we go out there at, like, you know, 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning, and we're driving around, and I'm riding with my friend Jay, who's driving, who is quite a bit older than me, 
and my buddy Tim, who I hope you'll meet Tim one day as well, is a good friend of mine. And I was in the back of a Ford EXP. Now, I know what you're thinking if you know cars at all. You're thinking, Cal, an EXP doesn't have a back seat. It's a two-seater. Or at least this particular one was. I actually don't know if the rest of them did. And I would say, why, yes, you're right. I was in the back sitting on like a bar thing because there was not a seat. No, that's not legal. And no, that's not smart. And so anyway... We decide, because the girls are all in a different car, there was two or three cars of us, and we decide that what we'll do uh, is we'll go out ahead of them and we'll kind of pull off on one of the little back, like, like uh, field accesses or around the corner and we'll turn our lights off and then they'll go out to Roseman, the big covered bridge out in the country, and then we'll come flying around and pull our lights on and scare them half to death and it'll be hilarious because we always like to scare people, Right? So we were going out, and man, you know, here's the other thing, is we're high school kids, and this story's taking way longer than it should, uh, but we're going around the turns, and Jay's popping the e-brake, and we're sliding, fishtailing around the turns and everything, and then we got to one curve. We got to one curve, and <clears throat> there's a tree off the curve, and all I remember really is... Uh, And if you hear Tim tell the story, he says, he just heard me yell, uh, curve, er, curve, curve, tree, tree. And uh, we didn't hit the tree. I still don't know how. Only by the grace of God did we not hit the tree. We slid straight off the curve into the ditch. And we were like, I don't know, that far from the tree. We still, neither of the three of us to this day know how we didn't hit that tree. And we also aren't 100% sure how his rear fender got dented into the tire. We're still not sure how that happened either. Uh, But we were not injured that we know of. I mean, that might account for some of what goes on up here. Um, And I just remember we got out. Somebody was coming by, an old, like a farmer and his wife or something, and they stopped. And then our friends in their car came back through. And so we crammed like, I don't know, 12 of us in a Ford Tempo, right, to get back to town. But I remember the whole way back, he was saying, oh, man, oh, I got to tell my dad. I got to tell my dad. Oh, no, I don't want to tell my dad. I don't want to tell my dad. I don't want to tell my dad. I'm scared. I don't want to, you know. He was freaking out about telling his dad. And, and what you don't know is his dad was my, uh, my American economics teacher in high school and was a deacon in their church and one, genuinely one of the sweetest, kindest, nicest people I've ever met in my entire life, okay? But he was scared to death. And I thought of that. How much anxiety was in the backseat of that car? How much fear? But then I think back about what I actually knew about his dad and what he knew about his dad. Now, did he get in trouble? Yeah, probably. I don't remember. I know what happened when I got home, but that's a whole other story. Um, my parents didn't find out I was in a wreck that night till I was an adult and married. So that's a whole other thing. So uh, it's great because they're at the age now they forget it every once in a while. So we get to relive the story with them. Anyway, um, so, so anyway, uh, I, uh, mom, I hope you're not watching. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, all the anxiety, all the fear, all of that. And what we knew was his dad loved him and he wanted him to be safe. And his dad would forgive him. And I think about that because here you've got David 
He did a little bit more than ding up the fender of his car. Run it off the road, get it stranded out in the country. And him and his buddies try to lift it back onto the road like they're superheroes. Which didn't work, by the way. He got a little bit more than that. But David knew who his father was. He repented of sin. He changed the way he thought towards his sin and the way he acted towards his sin. And he proved it by the way he lived after that. This was not merely an intellectual acknowledgement of his sin. It was a turning away from his sin and turning to God's will and God's way. Recognizing that God was the only one who could cleanse and forgive and also the only one who could direct his paths straight. So this morning, as we kind of roll towards the end here, I want to invite you to respond. I'm not going to have you walk the aisle and talk to me or anything like that. I'll be around afterwards if you want to chat and talk about this or if you want to talk later in the week, we can set up a time. But what I do want to do this morning is call you to respond in some way. And I've said it before, you're going to respond in some way. You're either going to believe this and yes, absolutely, and that's how I want to live, or you're going to uh, and, and repent of sin, uh, you know, or you're going to ignore it and walk out. Um, those are all responses. But I want to call you to the same thing that Jesus called people to, and that is to repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Believe the good news that you can be forgiven, that you can be made clean, that though you are mired in sin, you can be given a clean heart through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. See, he didn't just stay dead for three days. He stayed dead for three days, and then he rose from the grave, and that proved that God accepted that sacrifice for our sin. We serve a living God who is worthy of our obedience, of our surrender. My friend, Matty D, is what we call him. His name's Matt Davis. Um, he's 44 years old. He's a year older than me. Went to the same college. He has a twin brother named Michael. A couple days ago, Michael dropped dead. Unexpectedly left his wife and four kids. Life gone, ushered into eternity. Something similar happened I preached on this passage again. I was looking at my notes, and a friend of mine, right before I'd preached this, on the same passage several years ago, was gone, ushered into eternity in a car wreck. The end of life is coming, and it's nearer today for all of us than it was yesterday. That's something I can guarantee you, right? Like a little kid in that movie, What About Bob? We're all going to die, Right? The end of our lives is coming. So I want to invite you to surrender to Jesus. Make the most of your life. Not an emotional decision because you're worried you're going to die. Not some kind of pressured decision to repent of some sin you're harboring. But because you don't know when your life is going to end. And what story will be left behind to be told of your life when you're gone. I want mine to be the gospel. We must trust the gospel that it will change our hearts. It will guide us to repentance. This is not a message of trying harder to not sin. This is not a message of trying harder to act forgiven. This is not a message of trying to be a good little Christian. 
Uh, this is a message of relying on, leaning hard into Jesus. We're so dedicated to looking right and looking good in others' eyes. But we should be transparent and just own up to the sin that is in us. Then the gospel works its power and we see our lives changed, our church changed, and our community changed. And that sounds awesome to me. That's what I want. Is that what you want? My, my great fear is this. My great fear in this is this. Whatever, because of what we've been through individually or corporately or whatever we've, um, whatever we've had go on in our lives or our church, whatever. My great fear is this. I think sometimes deep down, if you peel away all the layers of the onion, right? My great fear is that we don't truly, truly, really believe that this can happen to us. Do you? Let's pray. God, as we come, God, we acknowledge you can change us. You can change our hearts. God, all we need is you. All we need is you. We must cry out. Father, I have sinned, and my sin is evil. I've committed it against you and you alone. Forgive me, cleanse me, blot it out according to your death on the cross, Jesus, your glorious resurrection. That we trust that your death was enough to pay the price for every sin I've done and will do. The very nature that is in me as a human being. God, I know it's a hard message, but it's a message we need greatly. And God, as we move forward as a people, let us not be known as a people who's trying to look real churchy. But God, a people who recognize the truth of the gospel that we are sinners and we need a savior. And we cling to you as our only hope. And that when we're gone, the story of our lives, the story of our church would be the gospel. Would be the story that we're nothing and you are everything, Jesus. Help us trust you and follow you in all obedience. And when we sin, bring us quickly to repentance. Give us a godly sorrow over what our sin has done. Let us have a heart like David, one that is after your own heart. Make us more like you, Jesus. Make me more like you. You know I need this message as much as anyone in this room. Make us humble. Make us honest. And make us faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. I'm going to invite um, the musicians to come back up. I can say musicians because there's a lot of them now. Um, invite them to come back up. They're going to lead us in a song. During this time, um, I want you to, if you would stand up with me, please. Um, we're going to sing one final song, but as we do, you may need to, you may just need to bow your head and pray. God may have spoken to you. Uh, through his word today, he, he has spoken through his word, and he may have convicted you of sin. He may have shown you things you need to do. He may have said, hey, this is, you know, this needs to be your church. Maybe you're new, or you're a guest, or you're a visitor, you've been here for a while, whatever. And um, whatever it is, um, I would just ask that you would make that commitment to the Lord today. 
you would surrender to him. I'll be around afterwards. I'll, I'll be out front. We can talk about that. Um, if, you're, if you need to know that you have salvation in the Lord, I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, if you'd like to uh, come forward requesting to be believe, uh, baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe you decide you want, you know, these people at Hope seem all right. I'd like to join this church. Uh, if you'd like to join us and covenant together with us as church members, then I'd love to talk to you about how we can do that. Um, whatever your decision is, maybe you just need to pray with somebody or about something or you need some counsel. I'd be happy to talk with you about that. We've also got some deacons who'd be happy to talk with you about that as well. Um, whatever it is, um, but I'll be out back and you can get a hold of me. Uh, and if you're online, you can get a hold of me through the website or through the Facebook page or send a carrier pigeon, whatever. Uh, there's all kinds of ways to get a hold of me on there. So um, don't hesitate to um, make sure you're right with the Lord today.